You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Water conservation is very important to me, and I bet it is to all of you. That's why I use High Sierra shower heads in my house, and I'm so happy to have them as a supporter of this podcast. High Sierra carries the EPA WaterSense label for efficiency and uses 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. 40%. The model I have uses just a gallon and a half per minute. And because of their unique nozzle design, it's patented. Nobody else has it. It maximizes efficiency of water and energy use, but doesn't sacrifice on performance. You still get a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by Flume. It's the perfect device for tracking your home's water use in real time on your smartphone. It's so easy to use. You just attach a small device to your water meter using a band, the same way you put a watch on your wrist. Then you connect to Wi-Fi, you download the app, and you're up and running. It's as simple as that. You don't need a plumber. You don't need to cut into any of your pipes or water lines. Very easy to set up. Then you can set water budgets, how much you want to use each day or week. It'll keep track of that. It'll tell you what's going on in your house with water use minute by minute. It'll send alerts to you if there's excessive water use or if it suspects a leak. In fact, when I installed Flume at my house, it told me almost right away about a leak. I was losing a gallon of water every six minutes. I'm honestly not sure when I would have found that without Flume. You can use promo code WATERLOOP for 10% off at flumewater.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Happy for this episode to be joined by three guests to talk about community outreach, environmental justice, water issues on the ground, and the intersection of all of those, uh, especially uh, through Toledo, Ohio. Um, I have Alexis Smith, Community Program and Technology Associate with Freshwater Future. Alexis, glad you could be on. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. And I have Alicia Smith, uh, Director of Community Programming and Associate Director of Policy for Freshwater Future. Hi, Alicia. And I have Ramon Perez, Community Organizer for the Junction Coalition. Ramon, happy to have you on as well. You got it, brother. Glad to be on. So I know we're going to talk a lot about Toledo, Ohio, and I think a lot of the issues uh, that we're going to talk about are things that are happening in communities around the Great Lakes and around the country, really. But, but let's talk about Toledo. What are some of the water and environmental justice challenges for, for the people in Toledo? What we see mostly right now uh, is just, is in one, the contamination of harmful algal blooms, and that has actually introduced more issues um, as, as we talk about environmental. So uh, when CAFOs factories, these large farm, uh, farming factories, that upstream community has all of that, uh, you know, runoff and manure contaminates Lake Erie, uh, which is, and, and we live right in that Western, 
Eastern, uh, that, 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 that Lake Erie basin, mm. um, that comes downstream to Toledo. Uh, uh, and we have to filter out so much of that harmful contamination. Um, and part of that drives up cost. And then who's paying for that? Well, our communities are paying for that. The rate payers, um, or customers as the utilities refer to them. Um, in in areas where that are hardly very hardly in, uh, impacted, um, you know they can't afford to have rates skyrocket, um, and that's what we're seeing. So from the contamination, which in 2014 caused the water to be completely undrinkable, um, and that now moving into making rates unaffordable, um, those are two of those environmental. Issue, injustice issues that we see. Another one is the just aging infrastructure that we have in our pipes. Um, not only we have in lead and paint, but also lead in um, pipes. Um, and from there, I'll let Ramon take it on. So just building on top of what uh, Alexis was talking about, I'm the uh, uh, organizer for the Junction Coalition and basically what I do is I go out into the community knocking on doors and finding out what community folks are thinking and feeling about their community. And so with this uh, environmental uh, justice challenges for Toledo is, uh, as, as Alexis described, then you go to, well, um, you, know, had, you know, has the community had the opportunity to vote or have a say in the development, implementation or enforcement of of these uh, environmental challenges? Uh, no, uh, historically, no. I mean, it's been designed to make uh, decisions about community uh, water consumers um, not having a voice in the process. So uh, in, in the process, and I'm talking about the laws, regulations, policies. So we've essentially been you know, kept out of that whole process, uh, I think by design, uh, because this is a commercial um, entity. And so if, if it's a money-making entity, then, you know, uh, you want to make sure that, you know, to some degree that the, uh, or a large degree that uh, marginalized communities, you know, uh, pay and, and not have any voice in, in any of this whole process that I just described. So that's, to me, the biggest challenge is to build uh, a community voice to, to, to have, you know, to be at the table. And, and as a matter of fact, bring the table. We bring our own table and chairs. Uh, so that's okay. been a big challenge is to, is to get ourselves uh, at, at that place. So it sounds like it's a combination of a, of a couple things. Uh, or Groups like yours are reaching out to the community and listening to what they feel and experience as water problems, as environmental problems. Um, but then they might not also be aware of some things that are a problem out there that could be a threat to their health or a threat to their water, right? So there's probably there's probably some two-way education happening also. Is that fair to say? I, I would 100% agree. Uh, you know, as I know one of Alicia's favorite things to say is a lot of times in these impacted communities, it's not so much a poverty of dollars, but it's a poverty of information. And when we talk about one, what's driving the cost up of our water rates and, you know, why is it that families are having these bills that are $2,000, $3,000 and they're on a fixed income or they're at a minimum wage job or, you know, they just, Water is to a point where it is um, exceeding 
the average cost that an individual should be um, having to pay out, um, there needs to be education to the community and not just to, and what we're finding too, not just to the community, but also to our local officials and the utilities, um, making sure that one, we know who we can go and, and talk to, who we need to go and um, where do we need to go to get resources and, and information and, and uh, support? Um, are there, is there funding opportunities to help relieve some of these cost burdens? And then on the other side, when we're talking about lead service line replacements, um, you know, is there a way for people to, if they've got a leak in their, in their uh, pipes and people need to, in their, in order to get that repaired, they have to shut their water off. Is there engagement with that family um, and making sure that there's some, if they need bottled water, they're getting bottled water. If they need information on how to properly f flush their pipes and knowing that they shouldn't boil their water, uh, but they should actually just be flushing. Um, is there information about whether or not um, they have filters and know how to install those filters? So yes, that, that information is definitely twofold um, and that we educate our communities on the impacts, what resources are avail available to them, and who do they need to talk to to raise these concerns? And then on the other side with our utilities, how do you properly engage the community um, ahead of time and not just in crisis mode? You know, how are we being proactive in our messaging? Um, and is that messaging distributed in an equitable manner? Not just putting it on your website or putting it, you know, on social media, but understanding these communities that you service are very um mixed you know some of them have access to internet and some don't some rely heavily on local news and newspapers and bulletins still so it's definitely twofold in how we you know create a, a, a you know a process that is equitable um and then also pushing our utilities not utilities but our city officials to kind of ask for state help and federal help as we look at the impacts of these factory farms and things that's coming downstream. I mean, these communities are uh, impacted enough by things on the ground and having, you know, downstream impacts built on top of that is something that our city and our state should be working to, you know, one, understand, but two, push back on. Ramon, what's it like when you go door to door? <laughs> what, what what are those conversations like? As far and you know, especially in respect to this kind of two way conversation. Yeah, uh, excellent question. Uh, you know, just to you know uh, piggyback on uh, what Alexis was saying. You know, uh, as an organizer, we've learned that institutions like this, uh, the Department of Public Utilities here in Toledo, uh, they're not designed uh, to provide. Uh, information or education to the community. They're designed to send you a bill, pay it, and if you don't pay it, and you know if you're not able to pay it, then we're going to shut your water off, and and that's what they do. Uh, regardless, uh, uh, you know, if you have, uh, you know, children in the home, uh, if you're a senior citizen, if you have a disability, uh, there really is no, um, uh, there is there is no structure built into these institutions that. Uh, provide information or education. So that's why as, as a community organizer, when, when I'm going out door knocking and talking to folks uh, regarding the, um, the uh, water company that was increasing the water rate 
uh, people uh, were like, what? Why is that? Uh, when did that happen? And that's why my water bill is so high now. Um, so, you know, we end up having to uh, turn around and go back to the uh, this institution uh, and let them know that, um, you know, we know that you're not designed uh, to, to do community education, uh, public education around these issues. So we're going to uh, put ourselves at this table and and then we're going to start uh, uh, designing our own uh, voice into that uh, institution. And so through that process, we've been able to uh, get folks from the community who are fired up enough and saying, you know what, I want to be a voice at that table too. So we've been very successful in, in doing the door-to-door -door knocking, hearing their issues and concerns, and then recruiting them to get on this uh, water affordability and uh, consumer protection committee so that they can actually have a voice. And, and in the beginning, it, it was a challenge because, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're not accustomed to having folks come in and talk about, you know, their issues, concerns and, and information that's needed to go out into the community. But we basically just uh, push our way in there and, and we created ordinances that were going to be a part of legislation that gave that gives uh, uh, water consumers the right um, to to be able to you know talk about what needs to change, what needs to happen, so that water is affordable, so that it is clean and that it's safe, and not only just responding to the symptoms of those high rates, uh, but also talking about the root causes. Why are we paying all these increases, and why is our water? Um, you know, uh, contaminated. And so then we have to look at, you know, some of the root causes that Alexis was talking about, uh, the uh, CAFOs that are, you know, downstream that are polluting the water. So these are the kinds of conversations, you know, that, that, are, that come up when you're out door knocking and talking to people. You're letting them know that, um, you know, you do actually have a voice. You can actually, um, you know, make, make inroads and, and make a difference. And so we've started to do that. And we still have a ways to go, but we've now, um, you know, are, are part of the, uh, we're at the decision-making table. So it sounds like there's been a kind of like a, a real uptick in your effort over the past couple of years, right? Like the, the algal bloom thing happened back in what, 2014, but it seemed, it sounds like to me that like the past just couple of years here, you've really ramped up outreach in the area and, uh, and trying to get the community involved and also get the water providers and others involved. Is that, is that right? There's kind of this momentum going on. That is definitely correct. For the past couple of years, it has been paramount um, to get community voice is why the freshwater future works with the water councils throughout the region. Toledo community water council took place because the voices of the community were not being heard. Prior to the task force working um, in tandem with all of the institutions and stakeholders, it was the community that was in harm's way. So we started out in 2014 with the algal blooms in Toledo, um, hepatitis A outbreaks in Detroit, um, children dying in Flint due to lead exposure. A number of things that led and said, community said, enough is enough. So to have these water councils working in tandem with these institutions, with these municipalities, is going to be the healing space, the restorative space. And so, yes, it has been um, here recently where we realize and understand that 
Water is the new gold. It is the one thing that we have to have in order to live. So why aren't we looking at water access, security, and democracy as the lead for all spaces of equity? So yes, it has mm -hmm. been a, a tremendous uh, microscope, um, magnifying glass on issues of water, particularly in low to moderate income areas, and what and how we can lift those issues up at a federal space, state space, and local space with our officials, our public servants, those that are supposed to be serving the public. Mm. I know Ramon mentioned some of the specific efforts that have happened recently. And, you know, you've said that, yeah, the, all this is going on. I'm curious, like, do you feel like you're getting any traction? Um, have you seen any, any results or outcomes? Or maybe it hasn't been an actual change in the water itself yet, but are some of those, you know, government entities and water providers and others starting to listen or, you know, are their relationships starting to form? How, how's it all going? <laughs> I would say yes. And I would ask Alexis to support me in this response. Um, not only are they listening and responding, but the community is now making demands, having legal support with organizations like ABLE, um, Fair Housing, um, our Congresswoman Captor and Congresswoman Tlaib, um, Stovenet, all, a number of Congress folks at the federal level are implementing legislation that protects. Um, and looking at it from an interconnection space, it's not just water, but it's housing. It's not just water, but it's transportation. Um, working with our policy folks over at Freshwater Future, we're able to look at each and every Great Lakes space and nationally. We just were on a call with the community water, community water center um, out in California. These are all issues that are definitely coming to the forefront. Um, Senator Brown working on some topics and areas and um, just making sure that we can lift it up from a federal space for legislation. But there's also funding from the federal EPA right mm -hmm. now in Toledo. Um, our director, um, of public utilities is working with the Toledo Water Council and Junction Coalition and Freshwater Future to actually host artificial intelligence with blue conduit to actually understand where the lead lines need to be replaced. And that was funded by the federal EPA. So I would say, yes, they're definitely hearing, but they're also hearing at a local level that is spanning between the local, state, and federal as our governor is preparing to host a conversation with downstream communities around the issue of algal bloom. Uh, other thoughts from Ramon or Alexis on, on how things are actually going? What's starting to materialize as a result of all your, you know, knocking on doors and getting people around to tables to talk and putting education out there? Um, yeah, are you seeing, seeing any signs of traction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I had mentioned earlier that the... Uh, the Toledo Community Water Council, um, you know, uh, uh, established themselves formally with the Department of Public Utilities uh, and formed the uh, Water Affordability and Consumer Protection Committee. And that's the vehicle for the community to be able to drive, you know, the issues, concerns, and the demands for improvements in safe, clean, affordable drinking water. And so, you know, we've been able to, to uh, you know, establish the uh, uh, rental uh, landlord tenant rental uh, uh, landlord tenant agreement so that no one, whether you're a tenant 
um, is, you know, we'll have your water shut off because sometimes landlords are not being responsible uh, and, and paying for the uh, tenants' uh, water. And so the tenants now have a vehicle they can use to make sure that their water is not turned off and actually have the uh, water account put in, in the uh, tenant's name so that they have control over that. Uh, we've also started to implement a water affordability plan, which is uh, uh, starting now. So hopefully by the end of the year, uh, we'll have a water affordability plan so uh, everyone will, will be able to afford water. Uh, even though it is a human right, uh, you still have to pay for it. And so we want to make sure that folks are able to afford to pay for that. Uh, for their water um, and and you know we are working on emergency assistance uh, so that way folks who uh, are having a challenge in, in paying their bills that there's a way that they can start to reduce uh, their their large um, uh, water balance not because people don't want to pay their waters because you know economically it's a big challenge especially if you're living in a marginalized urban neighborhoods where um, you know, it's it's almost like designed so that folks uh, remain in marginalized communities because of the overarching uh, neglect uh, in terms of laws, um, policies, and uh, regulations that keep folks marginalized. So, you know, those are all things that are overarching that are creating, you know, these types of um, uh, disparities in the community. So uh, we've been able to, you know, uh, uh, you know, have community folks to be able to challenge those and starting to overcome them. Uh, we still have a ways to go, but, you know, we certainly are, are a lot in a much better position now to make sure that, um, you know, those issues are being addressed, uh, not only in the short term, but in the long term. So, you know, community organizing really is uh, one of the uh, foundations to build, you know, a community voice and community uh, power to, to, uh, address these uh, policies, legislations, and regulations uh, that are keeping folks um, oppressed. I, I'm curious. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the other uh, some other communities around the region there, and I wanted to hear a little bit more about how the challenges facing people in Toledo and the approach to the work, right, of outreach and, and mobilizing and advocating, um, how that's reflective of, of things in other communities around the Great Lakes and and the approach of, of Freshwater Future. And, and excuse me, I have my niece here with me, so she, you know, might jump in at any point to add her, her uh, perspective. Hey, we, but, need, we, uh, we need the voices of young people too, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> right? let them talk. <laughs> Um, but I, I would say, so when we look at, you know, Detroit, for example, Flint, uh, Benton Harbor, Pelston, um, these are all communities that, um, and mostly Michigan, but also Chicago, um, where we've traditionally, I think, around these environmental issues and water issues have had this top-down approach. Um, when we look at how Freshwater Future seeks to engage your community, it's not Freshwater Future telling these communities how they need to operate, how they should do anything. It's us asking the community, what is it that they see um, as their concerns? What is, uh, you know, what are they seeing on the ground and how can we be of use to them? You know, um, it's them really guiding and being at the center of these conversations, not just informing, but also being the ones to put pen to paper and, uh, you know, offer up 
the principles of what needs to change as we shift from a top-down approach to a community upward approach. Um, you look at Detroit as they have their 10, uh, their 10 must-haves for water affordability. When you look at Flint and their experience with um, lead contamination and how what it's like to recover after that, what got them to that point and, and what do they what they've been working on to make sure it doesn't happen again. When we look at Benton Harbor, where you've got citizens and residents being the ones going door to door, with citizens and residents being the ones making sure that the information is not only uh, given, but is uh, put, put in a language that they know community will understand. Because that's another part of it, is we, a lot of times when we have these environmental groups, they're coming in and They've got all this jargon and environmental things, and it's not translated in a way that community can grasp onto it. Community can take it and run with it and inform conversations. What we've done and we built a network across the Great Lakes, and what we're working on is having Toledoans talk with Detroiters, talk with um, Flint natives, talk with Benton Harbor members, and create a network of just residents having a voice around these issues. Um, and we call it all about water because it's all about, you know, what's happening with our water as we recognize it as a human right, but also our indigenous people uh, informing us and telling us that it's not just a human right, but we need to look at water as a partner. And when we look at it as a partner, we tend to protect it better. We tend to put it in the forefront and have more of a holistic uh, approach into, you know, you know, our plans moving forward. We aren't just looking at what can I do with this resource and how can it benefit me, but what do I need to do to make sure that this resource um, is plentiful and healthy and clean? Um, so we're learning from each other. Um, these different uh, communities are facing a lot of the same issues. Um, and so to see what has worked in, in, in Detroit versus uh, what's working in Toledo, letting us build off of each other builds that people power um, that democracy really was meant for. Um, and then we get into these rooms and we build a platform. And I really love a, a term that Ramon uses. He, he says a uh, people's executive order. We're building that people's executive order and we're going into our, the rooms with our legislators and telling them, I know you have an agenda, but this is what your constituents are wanting to see. Uh, these are the things that are important to us. Mm. Love that. That's that's awesome stuff. I, I wanted to kind of conclude by asking about, I guess, the ultimate vision, right? And that's having environmental justice, water justice for everybody, that water equity. Um, and I'd especially love to kind of hear Alicia's thoughts on what equity and justice when it comes to water, what does that look like? Equity and justice as it relates to water looks as such as a, in a way to which the community, the people are dictating, providing and supporting the change where local municipalities are sitting down in rooms with their residents saying what is happening. We have a mantra, nothing about us without us. And our community organizer going out, gathering the people, hosting Zooms during this pandemic with the community and having those conversations. That's where the equality comes in the level playing field comes in in that space. When you start about justice, you're not looking at just us. You're looking at the entire problem 
of what is happening. When we start talking about uh, indigenous people, those of uh, different ethnic, uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds, we need to have those individuals at the table. So there needs to be a, a deconstruction of the table that was already there, destroy it and set a new table, build a new table that has a no historic systematic harm. There is a voice for everyone, an opportunity for everyone, any stakeholder that claims to be service to the community, then they should be sitting at that table. There should be mandates for equality, mandates that are set by and with the people through community benefit agreements, working with organizations throughout the region and around the country to identify what is the language we will use, how will we use that language, having bilingual um, and, and uh, documents, not just documents in English, because we're not a country of just English-speaking residents, begin to look at who we are serving. That is the equity, that is the inclusion, that is the diversity that is needed in our country right now as we are looking to put water in a space that it should be. And that's water is for each and every individual walking our planet. So I appreciate the opportunity to speak to that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think what will stick in my head is nothing about us without us. That's that's awesome. Um, well, Alexis, Alicia, Ramon, I know uh, that we could keep going and talking about a lot that's going on in, there in Toledo and the other communities you're working in. But this was a great overview that I look forward to sharing with people. Um, hopefully that the efforts you're, you're taking and the progress you're making uh, inspire others and uh, you know can provide a, a path for them to follow. Because like I said, this is happening in a lot of communities across the country and the time is now. Um, but thank you all so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, brother. Thank you, Jarvis. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Save 20% with promo code Waterloop at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop is also sponsored by Flume, the smart water monitor that tracks your home's water use in real time and provides data on your smartphone. Save 10% with promo code Waterloop at flumewater.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.